Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Did you know that if the enemy can win the battle for your mind, that he can win the battle for your life? That if he can win the battle for your mind, he can win the battle for your life. I think the devil knows that the way that we believe will determine the way that we behave. And I think that's why you and I are under the daily assault over our mind. I mean, think about it. Think about it in your life. Think about the assault that you face at work, the things that are done and the temptations of how you're going to respond. That's always fun, right? Think about the battle at home. Think about the battle with family. Anybody got any crazy family members? Anybody? Yeah. If you're not raising your hand, maybe it's because you're the crazy family member. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, neighbors, people in the family, people in your church family, like it's a constant assault on the mind, a battle for our mind. And I think maybe that's why we struggle so much with our faith. We struggle so much in in really being able to live the life that God has created us to live is because we struggle to navigate the daily battle. You know, I think that the greatest casualties of the battles that we face and fight for our mind is our peace and our purpose. Like the inner kind of peace, the Bible says that it's, it's God's peace that guards our heart and our mind. I think about our, our purpose and all that God has for us and that if we allow our minds to go in a bad direction, our minds can't go in a negative direction and our life go in a positive one. Amen? And so what happens oftentimes in our life when we are fighting this battle for our mind and we're losing the battle for our mind is that we tend to kind of go back to maybe some bad habits in order to try to to get a little bit of a reprieve from the things that we're feeling. For some of us, we kind of think about the the, the war that we're in and and we put this guilt, like we live in the shadow of guilt in our life because we think that if, if my faith in God was only stronger, like if I could do the things that he's called me to do, if I could just read the Bible more and pray more and be at church more, then maybe I wouldn't struggle the way that I'm struggling. Listen, I don't know about you, but if that sounds anything like your life, I've got good news for you today. That you don't have to lose the battle for your mind. That God has peace, God has purpose for your life, and that's what I want to help you see today and how to fight the battle and to win your peace back and your purpose back. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 23, and today's, today's message um, is a little bit different in that it is influenced by uh, a pastor from Atlanta named Louis Giglio. We just got done doing uh, his uh, small group. He has a book uh, that's called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. How many know that sounds like something, something's coming down the pike, right? And we just got done with um, his small group for the summer and it was just an amazing time as we navigated six weeks of, of just talking about and looking at this battle for our mind. And so today I want to talk to you from Psalm 23, influenced by his book. And I want to talk to you from that same title, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Hey, let's go before the Lord. Let's pray and ask his blessing over our time together today. Hey, if you're new here, just say this out loud with us if you're comfortable. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, but I've noticed that the closer to, that I get to things, the less sometimes I appreciate them. 
But the closer I get and the more that I'm able to see behind the scenes of things, that the less that I tend to appreciate it. And I think that can be true for this chapter in Psalm. Because for most of us in this room today, like we've heard Psalm 23 before, right? Like maybe you grew up in church and you've heard it all your life. You could probably quote some of it. Maybe you walked in today and you've never been in church in your life and you're just surprised. You're sitting there just surprised that you didn't get struck by lightning the moment you walk through those doors over there. Like no matter how long we've been in church, no matter how little we've been in church, most of us have heard of Psalm 23. Most of us have, have seen it stitched on grandma's blanket on the couch. Most of us have seen the picture of Jesus on the wall with, with Psalm 23, you know, quoted beneath it. And I, and I think what happens is, is that we've become so familiar with Psalm 23 that we've missed the power behind it. And I want to help us, I, wanna, I want us to open our eyes a little bit and to see the invitation that God is extending to you and I and the power that comes along with this invitation. If you got your Bible, look with me in Psalm chapter 23. This is uh, David who is writing this Psalm. And uh, David who ha had once been a shepherd is now writing this in Psalm 23 verse one. He says that the Lord is my shepherd. He says, I like nothing. Now notice here, he's saying that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing in my life. That David is making this determination. He is making this commitment in his life that, that God is gonna lead him, that God is gonna feed him, that God is gonna protect him and provide for him. And because David puts God in that position, in his life, he can confidently say that I lack nothing. He goes on to say in verses two and three, he says, you know, when, when my pace in life is burning me out, he says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. That when I'm stressed and when I'm overwhelmed by life, that he leads me beside quiet waters. David says that when I'm tired of fighting the same battles over and over and over again, that he refreshes my soul. Could anybody use a refreshing in your soul today? David says, when I'm confused and I don't know where to go and I don't know what decision to make, he says, he guides me along the right path. But I want you to notice here at the end of verse three, that it's not for our sake, it's not so that we can be lifted up and glorified, so that people can look at us and say, man, that guy or that gal's got his life all together, like he's making all the right decisions and never struggles, never goes through anything. No, David is saying that, that he does all of this in my life for his namesake. For his namesake. Church, if you don't understand this important truth about our life, you will spend your entire life aiming at a target and always missing. And here's the truth that you and I have to understand is that everything that God does, he does it for our good and his glory. For our good and his glory. Glory, Romans 8, 28 says that, that he will do, take all of the bad stuff in our life. Anybody got some bad decisions? Anybody got some pain from your past? Anybody got some regrets in your rear view mirror? God says that his promise is when we align our lives with him and we make him the shepherd, the leader of our life, that he will take all of the bad stuff in our life and he'll take all the good stuff in our life. And at the end of the day, it's gonna work out for our good. 
But not just that, there is a glory that God is, is looking for. And this glory is tied to the reality that God's purpose for our life is that we are used as a vessel to bring reconciliation to lost people. It says in Isaiah that all, so that all may see and know. And so as we live our life, in alignment with God, him as our shepherd, we can be confident of the same thing that David is confident of, is that at the end of the day, it's going to work out for our good and it's going to work out for his glory. David goes on to say in verse four, he says, even though, and I love that, I've got that circled in my Bible, that even though I'm going to walk through the darkest valley, like David understands there's going to be difficult times. Jesus even promised it in the New Testament that we're going to have trials and tribulations in our life. But Jesus said, take joy. Why? Because he has overcome the world. And David recognizes this. He says, even though I'm going to go through some difficulty in my life, I love this. He says he's walking through, right? Some of you have, have stopped on the way through and you've pitched your tent and you're camping out in the middle of the valley and David would stand before you today and he'd say it's time to pick up the tent and to move, that you are moving through the valley. And David says that I'm a fear no evil, that I'm gonna move through that valley and no matter what I see on my left and right, I'm gonna fear no evil, why? Because you, oh God, are with me. And he says, your rod and your staff, they're going to comfort me. I think of the rod and the staff. The rod is, is or the staff is, is the long shepherd staff that you've seen. It's got the crook on the end and, and it's usually used for a shepherd um, in order to kind of get the sheep to go in the right direction. And every once in a while when the sheep will kind of veer off in the wrong direction, the, the shepherd will take the hook of the staff and wrap it around the sheep's neck in order to bring it back into line with the, with the flock. And so David sees that. And, and he's got this visual being a shepherd himself of, you know, there's times in our life that, that God's going to take that staff and he's going to wrap the crook around my neck and he's going to bring me back into the fold. But David says, it's not just that that brings me comfort, but it's also the rod. Like the shepherd's got a rod too. The rod isn't to beat up the sheep. The rod is to protect the sheep from the bears from the lions, from the wolves that would try to come and do harm. And David is like, it's in that, that caring part of the shepherd of not wanting me, not wanting to go in the wrong direction and ruin my life that he'll bring me back into the fold. But then he says, it's also the rod that no matter what comes against me, no matter what I face, that I've got my shepherd that's there to protect me. And David says that it's in that that I find comfort. That I find comfort in knowing that my shepherd, he's not just caring, but he's courageous. You know, I think of like for me in my life and I didn't grow up in church. And so the only like, the only kind of shepherd stuff that I would see would be, um, would be like this old guy with flowy white hair, with kind of ribbons or scarves on. And I mean, I'm telling you, this dude would look like he would pass out dead if he had to walk more than a mile. And that is like the picture that, that I always had of a shepherd, but that's not who a shepherd was. Like shepherds were bold and they were courageous. And, and yes, there were moments where they would be caring, but there was a part of the shepherd that would stand between the enemy and the flock and go to war on behalf of the flock. And David is like that, that is the shepherd in my life. David recognizes that no matter what I do, no matter what I face, no matter what comes against me, that I can find comfort in my shepherd.
because he's with me and he protects me. Now watch how David then transitions to verse five. To me, to me it seems a little odd. Like if I was writing this passage of scripture, I probably wouldn't have jumped from verse four to verse five. But here's what David writes. He says, so we're just coming off of the end of, of the shepherd and walking through the valley and he's got me and I trust him, right? And we step right into verse five, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, imagine that for just a moment. Imagine that the king of the universe would invite you and me to a table for two. But here's the thing, like this table is not set up like in some back room in heaven to where you're able to kind of free from all the people walking around and the traffic and you're able to look out and just be like, oh, the hills are lovely and the smell and the aroma. Like that's not, that's not the table that, that David says God prepares for us. He says God prepares a table for us in the middle of my enemies. Like that, if I was writing Psalm 23, that's not the way that I would write Psalm 23. I would write Psalm 23 like, forget about the table in the middle of my enemies. How about just rescuing me from my enemies, God? Like, right? Like, how about just like coming through and, and, and getting rid of this situation with the divorce so that it all works out? Like, like, how about me just not having to even go through chemo treatments, God? Like, God, how about me not having to deal with the broken business deal? How about, how about me not having to worry about the leaking finances? Like, why in the world would the table for two with God have to be in the middle of my enemies? I think one of the lessons that God wants us to know about life about the battle for our mind and the things that we face on an ongoing basis is that our assignment is bigger than our season. That your assignment, what God's purpose is for your life is bigger than your season. Let me say it like this. Our seasons represent chapters and God is writing a story for our life. And just because one of the chapters isn't going so good doesn't mean that he's not going to work out the whole story of Ryan for my good and for his glory. I think what God challenges you and I to do in our life is to take a step back and to zoom out from the season and begin to see the assignment. And I think it's when we begin to zoom out from the season and see the assignment that that's when what David says next begins to happen in our life, that he anoints our head with oil that he begins to make our cup, our cup of peace, our cup of purpose to begin to overflow in our life because we begin to recognize that no matter where we are, no matter who's coming against us, that in the midst of our difficult season, that our cup, because of God the Father, can overflow. This morning... I've got a table, and this is not original to me, but I've got a table that I want to use to illustrate this idea. A table to use to illustrate the idea of God is good, that he does it for our good, and that he gets the glory. And I want to help us see what the common responses are that we have and why we feel like we are constantly fighting the battle for our minds. For this message and for this illustration, 
you are the enemy. Yes. What'd you learn at church today? I'm the enemy. You're the people, and this is, this is uh, just for illustration, but you represent the people that are always talking about me behind my back. You represent the, the father that abused me as a kid. You represent the, the bad report, the sickness. You represent the, the boss that fired me and now I have no insurance for my kids and I don't know what I'm gonna do. You represent the person that you went into business with that did you wrong and left you high and dry and now you've got all the debt for the business and he's got all the customers. You represent in this moment, around this table, the enemy. And right in the middle of the enemies of your life and of my life, God invites you and I to the table. And what he does is he, he invites us to the table and he pulls out the seat and you and I sit down in the seat and God stands at the table and Ryan, are you thirsty? How's life going? Are you stressed? How the kids? I know the kids are kind of in a new season and your oldest is getting ready to start college and your middle child is gonna be a senior. Wow, a senior. Like I remember, I remember back before she was even born. Your youngest is just starting to step into her sophomore year. What about you and Andrea? How are you guys doing? You doing good? Yeah. Man, I see so much in the two of you. Ryan, I'm so proud of the man that you've become. I've, I'm so proud of where you've come from and where you are now. And Ryan, I'm so proud that at any point along the season in your journey, like you could have said, no, like this is too much, God, like I can't step outside of the box, but, but you kept being persistent and saying yes. And Ryan, I, if you only knew what I have in store for you and your family in the years to come, oh, but I can't, I can't tell you now because it'll freak your world out, but. <laughs> but it's coming. And we've been at this table and we've been invited and we come and we accept the invitation and we sit down and we're like, God, I love these moments. I was thirsty, I needed a drink. Oh my gosh, are these strawberries? God, oh, I love that is my favorite. Wow. These are amazing strawberries. <laughs> and grapes. You brought grapes. God, you just like know me perfect. Like, you know, like all the things about me. And man, I'm just so like, I was crazed out. Like, like, man, I love you so much. Um, God, you have been, oh, you have been so good. God, I just want to thank you for that January night, 1997. When I felt you like never before. And when I want to thank you for, mm, that cheese is good. Did you make that? I don't know, where are I going? <laughs> In that season when Andrew and I were trying to start a family and 
we walk through the, the miscarriages and wondering if it would ever happen and God, you held our hand through that. And now we have three beautiful children and a blessed family. God, you are, you are so amazing. Like the things in my life when it just seems like impossible was ahead of me that, God, you were the possible inside of me. And I just want you to know, like, I, I love you. And I'm so thankful for these meals, not just for the food. Mm-hmm, it's good. Even more than the food, God. I cherish the fellowship. The invitation. The invitation for God to be our shepherd and the fellowship of the moment. But I think oftentimes what happens in our life is um, we're a little too prone to be too busy. And so our lives kind of end up looking a little bit different. We're kind of off hanging out with our friends, drinking our coffee, you know. Um, it's got to have lots of cream and sugar if it's me because I just, and um, we're drinking our coffee and we're doing our thing and we're like, Oh my goodness, God, this is an amazing spread. Holy cow, are these strawberries and cheese and salami and grapes? Like, oh my goodness, I love the grapes, God. This is amazing. Like, um, oh, this is so cool. Like, people have to see what you have prepared for me, like, I have to see it. Like, I have got to make a post of this because this is fantastic. Oh my gosh. God, the table is so pretty. And oh man, um, hold on. I gotta do a really good one here. Hold on, I gotta, there we go. Oh God, um, at dinner, with the king, I'm gonna tag you at almighty. Sin, oh my gosh, God, this meal is, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like, thank you so much for all the time and the effort and the energy, the invitation, it's awesome. Like, I, oh, the food is so good, but God, listen, listen. The grapes are so good, but listen, every time I come to the table, it's always like the very best. It is so good. But God, listen, I got a lot going on and I got, I got my work stuff to do. I got my family, like I, I got to travel all over the world with, with my kids' sports teams because they're eight years old and they could get a college scholarship if I just invest $100,000 in their life between now and college. Um, I mean, of course, college might have only cost me 50 in the first place, but they got a college scholarship, so I'm going to kind of navigate all that, but God, I, oh my goodness, I appreciate this. I appreciate your effort to do this. Um, I'll try to come back next month, okay? I'll come back next month, and, and we'll have some, I'll do some more posts, and we'll just have a good old time, okay? And then we go. That's what I call the flyby. We've been invited to this amazing dinner in the midst of our enemies, the king of the universe. And for many of us, we're too busy to even take a seat. For some, the struggle isn't the pace of life. For some, the struggle isn't the fact that we kind of fly by and we enjoy the fruit, but not the fellowship. That'll preach its own message. But sometimes our challenge is the distractions. We don't fly by, we get distracted by. And what we don't realize is that the enemy 
Satan himself is jockeying for a seat at your table. The table that God has set up for you and him to be an intimate dinner where you can have fellowship and you can enjoy all of what he has to offer you. The enemy is doing his best to be able to pull up a seat at your table. Now you may think there is no way that Satan would be so bold to pull up a seat at the table between you and the king. There is no way. You would think that unless you read the Bible because the enemy pulled up a seat at Eve's table in the garden and talked her into eating the forbidden fruit. The enemy pulled up a seat at Abraham's table and when he felt like the promise was taking too long and he didn't want to wait anymore, he took matters into his own hands, ended up with Ishmael, which ended up being part of the descendants that led to the religion of Islam. The devil even pulled up a seat to Jesus' table in the wilderness, right? And begins to tempt Jesus. Now, he didn't fall for it, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But if Satan pulls up a chair to Eve, and if Satan will pull up a chair to Abraham, and if Satan will even pull up a chair to Jesus himself, what makes us think that Satan wouldn't pull up a chair to our table? Now, he doesn't, he doesn't come into this thing hot. Like, he don't just, like, pull up the, table, the chair up, and he's like, oh, Ryan, is so good. Like, man, this bread looks good. I'm going to take this bread, and I'm going to hit you over the head and keep hitting you until you can't get back up. No. That's not what Satan does when he pulls up a seat to our table. See, Satan comes up and he casually, he comes in casually and he grabs some of what God put on the table for just us and him. And he begins to take, oh, these are your grapes? Here, let me have a few of your grapes. Here, let me steal, let me steal your son. Let me, um, let me wreck your finances. Hey, Ryan, can you believe how your spouse, how your wife talked to you this week? Like, if that were me, I don't think I would take that. Like, like she needs to respect you more like she has Ryan she has no idea everything that you do around the house like think of all the things that you do around the house like if she only knew like she would be more respectful to you in the house oh and your mother-in-law <laughs> you think she likes you Hi, mom in law. She's probably watching. This is not you. <laughs> and your mother in law. Oh, did you notice when you were over at the house at Thanksgiving that she was off in the corner talking to a couple of her family members? She don't like you. <laughs> and she's getting other people around to not like you too. That's why when you walk into the room, you feel so like awkward. You know, if I was you, I wouldn't even stay in that family. I'd get out of the family. There's plenty of other families that, that will love and appreciate you. I wouldn't worry about that. Ryan, let's go food in it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> what about your coworker or your friends at school? 
Now, you've been thinking about sharing your faith with them. Um, I wouldn't do that if I was you. You have no idea how that could backfire on you. You might get fired. Um, you might have friends that will go tell other people and then all of a sudden, like, nobody likes you and nobody's talking to you anymore. And I would just, if I was you, Ryan, I would just keep your faith to yourself and, and you'll be good. Nothing will change for the better or the worse and you'll be good. That's a picture of our lives when we allow our lives to be distracted by the enemy that desires to pull up a seat at the table. He doesn't come in hot. He doesn't come in trying to bash us over the head with a loaf of bread until we die. He comes in casually. And he comes in sowing seeds in our mind, hoping that we will latch onto that and turn feelings into actions. And I think that's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose, but that's not his method. His method is to come in nice and easy and to find a little gaping, gaping hole and to begin to, to try to sell you on something in order for you eventually to start doubting the trustworthiness of your shepherd. And I think that's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Stay alert. And not just stay alert in your life, but watch out for your great enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, the reality for us is that we may not be able to keep Satan from, from prowling around our table, but we can certainly keep him from having a seat at our table. And Jesus helps us understand how we do that because he did it when he was tempted. And we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the instruction to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I think some of you are here today and God's challenge to you is that it's time to take back your table. That either you've been flying by way too much, thinking that you have a real taste of what fellowship with God is, thinking that that comes from a distance with a couple grapes and a strawberry. Or maybe for you, you've been in this long season of just being distracted by that you're at the table you're there trying to have fellowship with God, but Satan has pulled up a chair to your table and has been whispering into your mind. And the battle that you keep facing is the battle of the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has for you. And what the word of God tells us is that when we begin to recognize the lies of the enemy that are being spoken to us, that we look at the man at the end of the table and we say, God, does this thought line up with your thoughts for me? Does this feeling line up with your feelings for me? And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Then how do we end up living our life in such a way that 
our mind and the battle and the emotions and the fears and all this stuff doesn't drive everything that we do. We don't fly by. We're not distracted by. But we make a decision to be consumed by. Consumed by the king of the universe that has made a personal invitation to you to have fellowship with him, to eat with him, and to be led by him. And it's at this table that when the enemy comes that we are so locked in to our father that his voice becomes louder than his voice. Church, we don't win the battle for our mind by fighting the lies of the enemy. We win the battle for our mind by feeling our mind with the truth of God's word. And this is why in these last days that one of the biggest tactics of the enemy is busyness. Because the enemy knows if we're busy, we ain't got no room for a Bible in our life. And if we don't have room for a Bible in our life, then we have no ability to be able to discern between the voice of the enemy and the voice of our Father. You know, at the end of the day, you may wonder, I get that, Ryan, I feel convicted that I've got to get into more of a, more of a routine to be consumed by the Father, but I still struggle to understand why the table is in the midst of my enemies. Why not in a back room in heaven? Why in the midst of my enemies? And God would say, so that your enemies can watch you taste and see. And no matter what the enemy brings against you, no matter how dark the season that you may be in, that you are tasting and you are seeing that the Lord is good. And that's why we get good and we get God. And at the end of the day, when we live our life that way, he gets glory because now we live our life of going out to all of these enemies and saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. That his mercies are rich and overflowing that your life can be different. That was a bad throw. <laughs> you got to lay out for that, Andrew. <laughs> He's a football coach. Church, the table's not just for us. The table is also so that those that have done us wrong and those that that have wished the worst in us can see that through fellowship with our Father, making him the shepherd of our life and saying yes to the invitation and, and sitting down at the table, my life can be different, but yours can be too. Would you bow your head for a moment? And let's sing this together.
Lord is my shepherd He goes before me Defender behind me me this morning. Let's sing this from the bottom of our heart. we thank you, Lord, for the invitation. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that no matter what we've done, no matter how bad our past is, no matter how many regrets we have, that God, you have invited us to the table. Father, forgive us, Lord, for allowing our lives to become so busy that we're identified by the flyby and it's all about just taking a little bit of fruit as we see fit, whatever we need to kind of go on to the next thing in our life. Lord, forgive us for being distracted by and allowing the enemy to pull up a seat to our table and to speak curses over our family, speak curses over our marriages, to speak curses over our finances and our relationships. Father, today we make a bold declaration and commitment to pull up a seat at the table and to look at you square in the eyes and to allow our hearts to be consumed by your presence, your spirit, and your words. With every head bowed and eye closed, maybe you're here today and you're far from God. Like you think about the flyby and the distracted by and the consumed by and you're the bye-bye. Like, like you're not even there. Or maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ. That right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, the good shepherd is inviting you on a journey that will transform your life for the better like you've never imagined before. And if that's you today, I wanna to lead you in a prayer to start this new journey. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you in this moment, you're, you're sensing the Holy Spirit is saying, it's time for me to come back to the table. It's time for me to make you the shepherd of my life. It's time for me to be consumed by your presence again. If that's you, I'm not gonna have you come forward, but right where you're sitting or standing, raise your hand as a declaration to God and say, God, I'm ready. God, I'm ready to make you the shepherd of my life.
to be fully committed to you and surrendered to you. Anybody else? It was the prayer in 1997 that started the journey for me. But it was the journey itself of saying yes to the invitation that became transformational in my life. And today I wanna to lead those of you that raised your hand in a prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence today. My friends that have raised their hand and said, I wanna make a commitment to you, God, like right there. And if that's you, just, just begin to pray what the Lord lays on your heart to pray. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin. But right now, ask the Lord to forgive you of not making time for him, to forgive you for all the things that are in your life that would create separation from him. Now, right now, say to him, I believe in you, God. And I believe that your son died on a cross for my sins. And today, I accept that free gift of salvation. Come live inside of me, say it, live inside of me and be the leader of my life. And I'll live for you always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.